to talk, you can be seated. I want to talk to you this morning about commitment. There's a lot that has been going on in me in the last few years when it comes to commitment. I, um, I find myself kind of puzzling about some things. Number one, when I was young, I, um, I thought 60 was old. I thought you were going to die. And um, my grandparents were in their 60s when death came knocking on their door. Life has really changed, and for that I'm grateful. And I find myself, I'm really, really shocked, pleasantly so, and surprised by where I'm at in life right now. It's one of the advantages of keeping a journal and kind of processing and asking yourself questions. What's different? What's going on? I find myself, and I'm not just saying this, but I love Becky more now than ever before. I mean, just obsessively so. Sometimes I say, if I'm smothering you, you need to tell me. Sometimes she'll go, like she's playing football. I love my children now more than ever. Andrew, who's been away for a month in these war games, called Sunday night, and I was nearly in tears. Not Sunday night, but the night before last. And I was nearly in tears talking to Andrew, just to hear his voice again. You know, Skyping. And isn't this a great day when you've got FaceTime and Skype, and you can see your grandchildren and talk to them, you know, and, and they lean forward and kiss the computer screen. I don't don't kiss that, grandson. It's dirty. They have it. Don't do that. But you just, it's a wonderful day that we live in. I find myself loving you more and loving the ministry and what I do more. It's the reason that sometimes in the community, people ask me questions and they'll say, when are you going to retire? And I said, I don't know. Number one, I don't know how you retire from the call of God. I don't know how you retire from preaching. I go back to my Uncle Ralph, who died a few years ago. Pastored right up to the very end of his life. And I went to see him one time, and I said, Uncle Ralph, are you going to retire? And he says, and do what? He said, fish, golf, travel. He looked at me, and he shook his finger in my face, and he says, Denny, you never retire from the call of God. It just kind of shook me a little bit. You never retire from the I just hadn't thought that way. I find myself talking to people now and I say, so what are you going to do when you retire? And I ask them this question because I'm really curious. What am I missing out on that I don't understand, Dr. Rodney? What am I missing out on that subject? And this is the common answer I get. Absolutely nothing. Nothing? Nothing. I've earned it. And I go, oh, that would be devastating to me. Absolutely nothing. I go, you have a call on your life. God created you and shaped you. Your life, and not to make us the center of the gospel, but your life has significance. So I've really been journaling what's going on inside of me that 
I love what I do now more than ever before. Why is this such an unexpected time in my life? My father retired at 59 years old. He was a good steward, a good manager. He was able to do that, and, but he was never not busy. At first, he thought he was going to love it. And then he found out, well, that's kind of a miserable way to live. And so he was busy right up until, even with his sickness, he, he stayed busy. He walked right off the platform of the church one day, not realizing because of the, the advancing of the disease he had. And God spared his life, a three-foot-high platform onto a concrete floor with a little carpet like this one. But he stayed busy. And I think... I know the answer, and you can disagree with me if you want to on this, but I believe that by the time we're finished going through the scriptures this morning, you'll change your mind. I think the key is your commitment to God. I think the key to this drive and this passion for life, this passion for my wife, for my children, my grandchildren, for you, for our community. I think it's the commitment to the call of God. And that's not to say if you retire, you're not committed to God. But please don't retire and do nothing or I'll be burying you real soon. Okay? And I've buried people here that's asked me to share that with you because they did nothing. You know, commitment, I think, is what keeps you from just degenerating and descending into decay. I mean, I have to ask myself the question, what's going on that every day there's new strength? What's going on that every day there's new passion? What's going on that every day there's new drive? What's going on that every day there's new motivation? There's so much truth to that hymn that we used to sing, Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. And I think it's commitment, because as long as we pursue the Lord with all of our hearts, there is this stream of life and inspiration that God just pours into us. Did you know, now, now listen, did you know, and this is not in your outlines, you may want to write this down, 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9 says that the eyes of the Lord are searching the whole earth to find those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Let me tell you that again. Listen. The eyes of the Lord are searching the whole earth to find those, Austin, whose hearts are fully committed to Him. And if I could say anything to Austin and Sophia and the rest of the teenagers, Nicole, if I could say anything to you that are young in here, Philip, Melody, listen to me this morning. Getting old doesn't mean that suddenly you just drop off in this abyss where you just slowly fade away. There is a call of God for your life that will cause each day for there to be new mercy and new grace new passion, new energy, new strength. 
And every one of you, every single, even if you're not following Jesus this morning, every one of you, you have that call of God upon your life. God loves you. God died to save your sins in Christ. God did that because of his amazing grace and care for you. There's something buried. There's something latent deep inside of your soul and your heart. It's like St. Augustine. When you hear the voice of God, it's like John Wesley on that voyage from America back to Britain. That when you hear the word of God, suddenly your heart begins to burn in you. And all of a sudden, there's this drive and there's this fire and there's this flame. You don't vegetate. You don't just kind of lie around and grow old. But as the book of Psalms promises, that even in our old age, we will continue to bear fruit. That's the kind of life I want to live. That's the kind of life I want to live. Now, I'm going to get personal here. I didn't have to do this in the first service, so I'm going to get personal here. You may be here, and, and I've talked to several people. You've met your husband or wife through a dating service. But one of the reasons my heart bleeds so much for this generation, not those of us my age, it's awfully hard to find someone you can be committed to when you can swipe the page and find somebody else to be committed to. And to realize as you're swiping through your Tinder app or you're swiping through your dating app, you're looking at all these faces and you know they're swiping and looking at your face. And a few of you have even told me, when I showed up, they were nothing like their face on the screen. Because we live in a generation for the last 30 years, advertising has been built upon this, that I matter. You don't matter. I matter. What I want matters. So much so that the world is bought into a ludicrous, I mean an insane proposition. It's better to kill a baby than it is for a baby to be born that's not wanted and loved in this world. Really? Does that make sense? Alabama has suffered an onslaught this week because they want to challenge Roe v. Wade. God bless. This is really hard for me to say being from Georgia. God bless Alabama. God bless Alabama. Come September, those words will never pass my lips. There, Jesus, forgive me. That was not necessary. I prayed last night my speech would be full of grace and seasoned with salt and not full of salt and seasoned with grace. But I've heard nobody say this on the news. There are over 70 pro-life centers in Alabama that provide care, adoption counseling, post-abortion care, fostering, diapers, food. Nobody talks about the good being done in states like Alabama and ours. But they come along and say, if the baby's not wanted, kill it. I want to tell you something. I know so many people wanting to adopt 
So many people in our church that have adopted, people in our church that are fostering children right now. Don't you believe the damnable lie vomited from the pits of hell? There are committed, passionate followers of Jesus Christ that are ready to open their arms to the weakest among us. Can you say amen? They're there. They're there. So, Ed, if you'll put that verse up for me. Pastor Corey's read it, but dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to open our eyes, not only to the significance of commitment, but to the absolute joy and freedom that comes from commitment to you. Lord, as we say here, because you gave it to us, of becoming passionate followers of Christ. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Grab a pencil and follow along with me real quick this morning. I wrote these statements because I wanted them to be statements that you could confess and say in your prayer time and your prayer life this week and whether you do that in the evening or you do that at night but just take one of these statements there's four of them and take one of these statements and build your devotion around it at least four days out of the week number one I'm committed to Jesus because of all he's done for me would you say that with me I am committed to Jesus because of all he's done for me one more time I'm committed to Jesus because of all he's done for me if Jesus hadn't loved me I would have never known what love really was if Jesus hadn't have chosen us if he hadn't have called us then you and I would have never been saved or born again everything that exists in our lives is not because of our goodness or not because of any quality decisions that we've made it's all been because of what Christ has done for us but I think we need to look at what we mean on this Memorial Day weekend and I think this is a, a poignant and a perfect weekend to be talking about commitment and this actually was the weekend I was going to prepare this message. I was going to preach this next week, and Pastor Corey was going to be preaching today. But uh, we have a wedding to go to. Our son Christopher is getting married this week, and we're just a little bit, teeny bit excited that finally the boy has found a wife. And so we're going to go celebrate their commitment of their lives to one another. And we have talked all of his life about what commitment looks like and what commitment does, how you know when somebody is committed. It, I was writing some things that I'll be saying at the, at the groom's dinner, and I was, or I, Becky corrected me this week, it's no longer called the groom's dinner, it's the rehearsal dinner. The groom's dad is paying for it, so I'm going to call it what I want to call it today. The groom's dinner, and I've been rehearsing some of those things that I want to say. And, and one of those things is that when one of his little buddies, his mom and daddy divorced, he crawled up into my lap. He was just a munchkin, and he took my hand, his, my face in both of his hands, and he asked me with tears in his eyes, Daddy, will you ever divorce my mommy? And I remember looking at him and saying, Christopher, that is the last thing you'll ever have to worry about. I love your mother, and no matter what, I will never divorce your mom. Your mom and I will never divorce. And 
son, you don't understand this, but I can say that to you because of what Christ has done in our lives. And he just buried his head right into my chest and began to cry. I'll never forget another time when we had the talk. You know what I'm talking about? The talk. And I took him out in the canoe and we went out into the canoe into the middle of the lake and I says, Chris, it's time to have the talk. And he was all ears. He's on one end of the canoe. I'm on the other end of the canoe. We get done with the talk and his questions. He crawls down the beam of the canoe and he grabs me and says, this is the greatest day of my life, Dad. I can't wait to share that when I talk about commitment this week. You know, it's those kinds of memories that you have of commitment and what God has done in the lives of your children. But think about what commitment looks like when it comes to Christ and to you. Jesus' goal, the Bible tells us, was to know the Father and to do the will of the Father. There's an amazing statement made in the book of Hebrews that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, went to the cross and endured the agonies of the cross. Now, that's a, an amazing statement that Jesus, for the joy. When you and I look at the cross, and when you and I look at the Garden of Gethsemane, there's nothing joyous about it. Only the Holy Spirit can change our hearts to understand, yes, the suffering was real. Yes, the separation from God was real. When he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Yes, we grieve, but God does not want us looking at that cross this morning with pity upon Jesus because Jesus went to that cross because he was fully committed to loving the Father and to loving you and to loving me this morning. That cross represents to the follower of Jesus Christ an all-consuming love for God the Father and God's all-consuming love for you and I this morning. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? That's what we mean. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the agonies of the cross. The Bible says he even scorned its shame. What that means is he simply looked knowing that he would hang naked upon that cross, knowing that he would be bleeding, knowing that he would suffer for you and I who sit in a climate-controlled church, who have our bellies full of food, and we have wonderful clothes and wonderful homes and cars and Skype and FaceTime and all the wonderful things that I talked to you about already this morning, that Jesus Christ did it for us, and he hung there utterly as God himself on a tree he had created, on a hill he had created, for people he created because he loved us. Don't ever just say that statement again without really pondering the meaning of what it means when we say we're fully committed to him because of all he did for us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, you, me and I, you and I, you lived in this world without God and without hope. Say that with me. Without God and without hope. One more time. Without God and without hope. People who don't know Jesus are without God and without hope. The hope they have is the hope that you and I bring them in the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, people need that hope. I have discovered with the lost people that I talk to, it doesn't matter whether they're straight or whether they're gay. It doesn't matter whether they're rich or poor or whether they're black and white. Most people know what the Bible says. And when they think of church and they think of the Bible, they think that it's condemning them because they're not a Christian. Friends, understand this this morning. The Bible condemns all of us. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we are saved. We are not saved because we're better than the world. We are saved because Jesus Christ chose to 
to save us. And people need the hope today, whether they're gay or straight, black or white, male or female, they need the hope that God scorned the agonies of the cross in order to love them and to save them today. That's the hope of the world. That's the hope of the world. But now, here's the hope, but now you have been united, united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through what? The blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. And I can't help it, some of my favorite songs that we sing around Woodland, they have to do with the blood of Jesus. Some of my favorite moments with you are when we take communion together and we remember the blood of Jesus. We're committed because of what He'd done for us. Number two, my commitment to Jesus is total. My commitment to Jesus is total. Let me kind of back away with something lesser to illustrate something greater. I recently journaled my surprise. I told you just a few moments ago how my love for people in my life like Becky and you is growing. And, and I, I just had to say, Lord, why? Ministry long ago lost the romance. Ministry long ago lost the idealism. I can't think of anything over the years that I haven't been involved in, had to deal with, had to confront. I can't think of anything over the years I haven't been called or haven't been challenged on. So it's not an idealized life. It's not a, a life where somehow or another that uh, you're just one step away from heaven. It's living where you live. And yet somehow or another in our marriage, we're long past those little syrupy things that we said to one another. I was reading some of our old letters that Becky's mother gave us recently that I didn't know she had those letters, Becky. And it was kind of embarrassing to read those letters that your mother had. And I was reading some of the things I said to Becky and I thought, well, I still mean them, but I wouldn't say them that way anymore like now. And I don't want our kids to have those letters, Becky. So whatever you do, you'd be sure you handle those. We're long past that stage in life, but we love each other more. We've grown in love. We're long past that stage in children when we we imagined what it would be in our imaginations there were never poopy diapers in our imaginations there was never kids vomiting in our bed in our imaginations there was never a rebellious teenager but somehow or another we love them now more than ever we're past the stage of romanticizing grandparents have you ever had to sleep with your grandsons recently our grandsons decided they wanted to sleep with us I couldn't take it, folks. I got on the floor because I could not sleep with those two little guys in the bed with us. In a few moments, those two little rascals had left Becky and crawled on the floor next to me and says, Papa, we're cold. There's no escaping them. <laughs> we're long past, but yet you love them more. You grow in your grace with them. And here's what I've learned. Commitment, listen to me. Commitment is never a stationary thing. Commitment is never a static thing. Commitment is never a stagnant thing. Day by day by day, we have to renew our commitment to Christ. We have to renew our commitment to one another in marriage and in family. But we also have to renew our commitment and our love for one another in the body of Christ. Can you say amen? You see, that's what commitment is. It's not like the guy whose wife said to him one time, he says, honey, don't you love me? And he looked at her and says, well, I told you so 30 years ago. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> Commitment is this ever-growing part of our lives. You build a fire. In a little bit, you 
got to go out and get some more firewood to put into the fireplace. You cool a house down, and in a little bit, the thermostat kicks back on, and it cools it back down because it warms up again. You see, each day we have to renew our vows. Each day we have to renew our commitment to Christ. Look at this verse of Scripture from Romans 6, verse 13. Do not offer the parts of your body to serve sin as things to be used in doing evil. Stop. Evidently, some Christians, their commitment needed renewing. Because Paul would not have written this if somebody's commitment didn't need renewing. Instead, offer yourselves to God, who is people who have died and now live. One of my professors in college said one time, the problem with a living sacrifice is it tends to crawl off the altar from time to time. So you have to, once again, offer the parts of your body to be used in doing good. There's kind of a parallel between what we talked about last week. And that is, we have to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word emphasis there is, is in the Greek, is a continual feeling that God just, if you will open your life, if you will open your heart, God will continue to pour in. But if you close off your heart, if you close off your, if you try to cap your life, then suddenly you're no longer being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the problem is, we all leak. Amen? We all leak in our vision. We all leak in our commitment. And so we have to do, as Paul says here, we have to come back and we have to offer ourselves to the Lord. Sometimes when I read this to people and I talk to them about a total commitment, I bring them back to something and say, on the altar, this word in the, in the Old Testament was used about the burnt sacrifice. As a matter of fact, one of my Jewish friends and I, we were talking about this burnt sacrifice in the Old Testament. That's the same word the Jewish people use for the Holocaust. In other words, that living sacrifice is comparable to the complete sacrifice where there was no fat or there was no portion of meat. There was nothing left over for anybody. The whole sacrifice was offered up to God. God doesn't want you dead, but God says, offer up your whole life to me, a total commitment. I can't be faithful to Becky 364 days of the year, and then one day a year say, honey, I'm going to go sow my wild oats, but the rest of the year I'm going to be good. I wouldn't live to see the next day. I wouldn't. She told me so. A long time ago. And when a woman throws a knife at you, you believe her about a lot of things. You see, some of us think, well, I can just get repentance. I can repent and everything. Listen, repentance will always bring you back to the cross, but there is a price to pay. God may not kill you like Becky would kill me, but there is a price to pay. And the price is, you're going to bear that. There is this joy that comes. And those of you that have been married 25, 30, 40, 50 years, you know what I'm talking about. There's this joy that people don't know because they haven't walked out this commitment for a lifetime together. And by the way, when I say a living sacrifice, please don't think for one little moment that to be a sacrifice doesn't mean there's joy in life. 
When you live as a living sacrifice, there's all kinds of joy in life. Being a living sacrifice doesn't mean that you deny beauty. You embrace beauty. You love beauty. You were created in the image of God. You were not created to make a mess. You were created to create something beautiful. And if it's art or if it's, if it's your, your skill sets, if it's writing, if it's building your home, if it's being a homemaker and raising your children, if it's building a business or if it's building the best car, you were created in the image of God to make something beautiful. You were created in the image of God to learn. Knowledge is not contrary to the will of God. Your brain is a marvelous gift to you. Your brain is not your enemy. Say that with me. My brain is not my enemy. And every once in a while I hear somebody foolish talk about if we could just get our minds out of the way. If you get your mind out of the way, you're going to die. You need a renewed mind. And so we learn. Occasionally, this is the time of the year where I take out, Becky and I take out all the high school students one by one for lunch. We talk to them about your future. What do you want to be? Where do you want to go? What's your plans? We're having lunch today with one of those students later on this afternoon that I remember taking them out to Red Robin and just having the conversation with them. But occasionally I'll run into somebody and I'll say, Pastor, can I tell you something? I go, yeah. This is what I really want to study, but my mom and dad said I can't make a living doing that. You see, making a living, it's very important that we understand Making a living is important, but an education, the goal of an education is not to make a living. The goal of an education is to learn. The goal of an education is to take joy in learning. So I tell them, let's talk to your parents about a double major, or let's talk about a major with a minor in something you love, because when you learn something that you love, typically you flourish in that. I meet all kinds of people who study for a law career or study for a medical career or study to be a teacher. And then when they got in it, they found out they don't like it. But the problem is, is they feel like they've got to stay in this career. Being a sacrifice doesn't mean that you're miserable. Being a sacrifice is delighting in the way that God shaped you and created you and used you. And I hope to show you that more in just a few moments. Would you go next to number three, my commitment to Jesus is logical. My commitment to Jesus is logical. As I thought about this statement, I, my mind kept going back to Captain Spock or Mr. Spock and Captain Kirk, and I wish I could make that symbol with my hands. You see, the height of insanity is not to worship God. The height of insanity is not to live for God. The height of insanity is not to worship the Lord. When you come into this building this morning, come in and worship Him. When you come here to sing, come into the sanctuary and sing the songs of Zion, sing the songs of praise, embrace the songs. The Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I taught on this close to 20 years ago here and in the board and with our pastors. There's something about you and I coming together and worshiping the Lord, singing the Lord, and declaring the good news of Christ to one another. That the Bible says that when lost people walk in, they will look at us and go, surely God is among you. I thank God for tongues. I pray in the Spirit every day. I pray fervently in the Spirit every day of my life. But the Bible also says this in that very same chapter, that if a lost person comes in and everybody's speaking in tongues, they're going to go, they're idiots. They're out of their mind. They lost their heads. But if they come in and we've embraced the Word of God and we're singing the songs of God and we're singing about His love and we're singing about His praise, they don't look around and go, oh, what a beautiful building. They don't go, oh, what a magnificent 
magnificent praise team. They don't go, oh, what cool little crosses. They go, oh, God is surely among them. And if there's anything I want this morning, it's for the lost men and women that come to Woodland Church to know that God is surely among us this morning. Can somebody give him a hand of praise today? I want people to walk into my home and say, the Lord lives here. I want people to do life with Becky and I and say, God is with them this morning. Because being a Christian is the most logical and sane and healthy way to live that there is. You hear me pray almost every week when people give their heart to Jesus. Lord, as much as I know how. I commit my life to you. Sam Shoemaker said years ago, and this is kind of what spurred this for me. He said, to be a Christian means to give as much of myself as I can to as much of Jesus Christ as I know. Let me read that to you again. To be a Christian means to give as much of myself as I can to as much of Jesus Christ as I know. I told Chris and Rachel the other night, you're committing yourselves to one another. You love each other, but you really don't know each other yet. You really don't fully understand the significance of the vows that you're making, that you're going to be making in just a few days. You've kept yourselves pure. You've honored God. But I tell you, marriage is the greatest adventure among human beings that I know of. You see, I had no clue when I asked Becky Stewart to be my wife. I had no clue that on August the 13th, Friday the 13th, can you believe that? Friday the 13th, 1976, when Becky and I said I do to each other, I had no clue what that meant. I had no clue what it meant when we said yes and Andrew was born. I had no clue what it meant when I said yes to Brownstown, Michigan, and I moved to pastor north of the Mason-Dixon line. But it doesn't change a vow. I've never entertained another woman. I've never entertained another church since I became your pastor because a vow is a vow and a commitment is a commitment and there's something powerful about a commitment that is not stagnant. It is not a stalemate, but you grow day by day by day and it gets better and it gets stronger and it gets more exciting and somebody please say amen this morning. Hallelujah. That's the power of commitment. It's why the Bible says in Colossians 1.10, then, then, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. And all the while, as you learn to know God better and better. How? As you learn to know God better and better. Can I ask you a question? If you were to sit down with your journal today, do you know God better today than you did a year ago? Is your commitment as strong to God as it used to be? If I were to ask you to just get before the Lord, and in effect I am, and do what I have done, say, Lord, search my heart. The Bible says where there's no wood, the fire goeth out. Is there a log that needs to be added to the fire? Does the temperature need to be raised? 
You see, you're never going to learn all there is about God. I'm never going to learn all there is about you. And I'm looking around this building, and most all of you I know, and I deeply love. But in growing to know each other, we love each other better. The only way that that doesn't work is when people are not being authentic. And then suddenly you discover they're not who they presented themselves to be. Some of those folks who've met and dated people on these apps tell me they don't even have the interest they put on their apps. They're not who they said they were. I sat just recently, not with somebody from our church, but somebody asked to see, devastated. Right over here at a restaurant called Piper's. He looked at me and says, Pastor Clanton, I don't know what to do. I married this person. And they are not who they said they were. I said, you made a commitment. You made a vow. Sometimes, listen to me, don't you miss this, especially young people, don't you miss this this morning? Joshua made a vow to some Gibeonites who were not what they said they were. Joshua made a vow to them. And when they found out they were not who they said they were, it didn't change the commitment. And so when the Gibeonites called for help, it was Joshua and his people that were on the line for their lives, and they honored their commitment. And though the Gibeonites paid a heavy price, listen, though the Gibeonites paid a heavy price, and Joshua paid a heavy price because he didn't seek the Lord, God honored Joshua and the children of Israel and gave them good success and the Gibeonites ended up becoming slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers. It may not go the way you hoped that it went, but when you made a vow to God, when you made a vow to your wife, when you made a vow to your church, when you made a vow to your company, you honor your word because God will honor those who honor him. That's what it means when we talk about being logical. The Bible says the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we're changed into His glorious image. Make you more and more like Him. Sometimes I feel like C.S. Lewis, when he wrote to a friend of his, he said, I especially need your prayers right now, not because everything's going bad, but I need your prayers because everything's going so good. Listen, when I read that, I got that right away. How many times when things are going well, God takes a back seat? And how many times when things aren't going well, we can't pray enough, we can't be in church enough? How many times when things aren't going financially well, then all of a sudden people want to tithe because they're desperate, they're trying to pull a handle? How many times when people get cancer, then suddenly they get desperate, they're trying to pull a handle out of the Bible? 
The Bible says, as you learn to know God, you see, the goal of an education is not to make a living, it's to learn. The goal of reading your Bible and praying is not to learn principles for prosperity and principles for healing. It's to get to know the God who loves you so much and gave himself for you that he has said, if you will seek me and my kingdom first, then I will heal you, then I will honor you, then I will bless you, and then you shall have everything that you need. Can we say amen to that? The goal is not to manipulate or prostitute an education or prostitute the Bible. The goal is to get to know God. Because somehow or another in that loving relationship with God, you find out how committed God is to you. And then finally, and Becky, if you and Philip would come on up this morning. A passionate follower of Christ, as a passionate follower of Christ, I will know God's will. I will know God's will. As I was writing this week and thinking, I was on my way for a meeting with somebody at Starbucks over on West Road in Allen, and how many of you know the traffic over there right now is just horrible? I don't know what's going on, but it's, I feel like I'm in Atlanta, Georgia sometime on West Road. And so I had an extra 20 minutes just to be able to think and to pray. And I said, God, help me communicate this point. The will of God is not a mystery. You can know the will of God. In the Bible, there was this very sick man who had some very good friends. And they were so committed to him, they got their sick friend, and they climbed upon the roof of the house where Jesus was teaching. Anybody know the story I'm talking about? They climbed upon the roof of the house. Now obviously, because Jesus is using this story and these details aren't there, but I believe them. Obviously, they were committed enough to save the money because I would have been very happy having my roof tore apart. Would you? So they saved the money to, to repair the roof because they knew if they could get their friend to Jesus, Jesus would heal him. But what they didn't know was that Jesus would take care of the greatest problem in that man's life. Jesus would forgive him of his sins. Our greatest problem is not our disabilities. Our greatest problem is not what we think it is. Our greatest problem is our sin. And so these men loved their friends so much, they lured him right down into the presence of Christ. Jesus forgave him. Jesus healed him. They paid for his roof. myself this question, how do they know? How do they know? And the only answer I could come up with is they had heard Jesus and they had watched Jesus. They had heard Jesus and they had watched Jesus. And they knew if they got their friend to Jesus, Jesus was going to change his life. God's will right there in the scripture for us. But you can be confident of this. Philippians 2 says God is working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. 
But if you want to know the will of God, you've got to feed your mind, listen to me, with the things of God. I'm all about leadership. I'm all about leadership. But I want to tell you something. Leadership is not the end-all, be-all. Dad, you need to be a good leader. Mom, you need to be a good leader. You need to be a good leader on your company, in your company. You need to be a good... But let me tell you something. A true leader is a man or a woman that is after God's heart. And when God's eyes are roaming the earth, He finds that woman or man whose heart is fully committed to Him. That you can't get on a leadership test. That you can't get on a leadership book. That you can't get from going to a leadership seminar. That you can't get by being mentored by a leader. That you can only get by selling out to Jesus Christ and becoming a passionate follower of Christ. It wasn't a marriage class that made me a good husband. It wasn't a marriage book that made me a good husband. It was getting in there and doing the things that you have to do, learning from your mistakes, and drawing closer and closer to my wife each and every single day. And the only way you're going to know the will of God is not just by reading the book. You've got to seek the face of God and the presence of God and say, God, more than anything else, come hell or high water, if I make a bad decision, I'm not going to break my word like because the Gibeonites deceived me. I am going to follow you. I'm not going to break my word because somebody wasn't what they said they were on Tinder. I am going to be a man or a woman of God by the grace of God. That's how you grow as a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Don't copy the customs and behaviors of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That emphasis there is a process. Then you will learn. Say that with me. Then you will learn. Say it again. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Good, pleasing, and perfect. One Sunday morning several years ago after I finished a message about the will of God, after I greeted everybody, there was a man sitting right here just in front of you, Esther and Charlotte. I saw he looked kind of disturbed and sad. And so I went over and sat down beside him. I said, is everything okay? He says, Pastor, I'm afraid of the will of God. I said, why? He says, what if God calls me to do something I don't want to do? What if God calls me to go somewhere I don't want to go? And we went through that whole list of things. And I said, you don't have to worry about that. No. God's will, according to the Bible, is good, it's perfect, and it's pleasing. You know what's good? A slice of cold watermelon in the summertime. You know what's good? pot of boiled peanuts and sweet iced tea in football weather. You know what's good? It's grits and eggs and homemade biscuits in the morning time. That's good. God's will is good. Now, you may go, I don't like boiled peanuts. That's not good to you because you don't have a cultivated palate like I do. You go, ooh, 
nuts and eggs and butter. That is so unhealthy. Shame on you. God made that butter. Butter is good for you. Amen? No food Nazis here today. I told him, I said, listen, God's will is perfect. It's pleasing. I said, can I tell you something? God will never call me to be a carpenter. Isn't that right, Bob? He goes, he won't. I go, no. Because if I build a house, somebody's going to die. God will never call me to repair the brakes on somebody's car. I said, you know why? He says, because somebody's going to die. I go, yeah. I said, God's not going to call you to China unless he gives you a love for the Chinese people, unless you want to learn the Chinese culture, unless you want to learn the Chinese language. God's not going to waste your life. That's why it's so important to learn your spiritual gifts. That's why it's so important to get your personality test with our disc test. That's why it's so important that you go through the shape interview with us so we can show you how God has created you, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your ability, your personality, your experiences. You see, God's will for you and me is according to how he shaped us. And once you discover God's will, you go, wow, this is really good. This is, this is really pleasing. And then you look back because you haven't grown stagnant. And there's something going on in your life. Forty plus years later, you go, I am so glad I married that picnic basket. Twenty years later, you look at you and go, I am so glad that I follow God's will. his place in the Sanhedrin, he'd have lost his place in the temple. His life would have been in danger. He wouldn't have been able to feed his family. But when Jesus was crucified three years later, something had so transformed Nicodemus that he came by day, knowing that he could be executed, excommunicated, publicly asked for the body of Jesus and he laid Jesus' body in his own tomb. Nicodemus had gone from an admirer to a passionate follower of Christ. If you've been an admirer, today is the day to sell out. Today is the day to say, Lord, I surrender all to you. 
going to ask you to do that while we sing this chorus together. Becky, Philip, will y'all lead us in that?
praying this. I'm praying this with you. But if you're standing here praying and you're saying, Pastor, I really needed to pray this. I needed, I needed a cleansing this morning. I needed a renewal of my commitment. Would you just lift up your hand? Nobody's looking around but me. All around the building. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise.